Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today during this recollection, as we spend time in front of the Lord here, in prayer, we want to look at the foundational aspect of our faith and look at what kind of woman does God want you to be? What kind of man for those who are men? Not just what kind of ideas must we believe or what kinds of things must we understand? What kind of man or woman does God want you to be? And the answer to that question comes to us if we go to that hill, that mount, that grassy slope where our Lord stood and transmitted to us the famous paradoxes that we know today as the Beatitudes on the, in the Sermon of the Mount. These kind of upside-down values, upside-down paradoxes that promise such goodness yet are, seem to be so, so, such a paradox in the vision of the world. They are the most noble words, the most magnetic and powerful words that our Lord proposed to these massive crowds on the hills of Judea. They are the Beatitudes. They are those ideals that will lead one to be blessed or truly, truly happy. The Beatitudes. There is a series in uh, St. Matthew and there is a series also in St. Luke, the Beatitudes. And uh, they, ha they hold really both beautiful ideals, but at the same time these deep paradoxes, not because they contradict themselves, but the paradoxes that they reflect really a very different way of seeing between the way God sees things and the way uh, man sees them. You'll recall how when Samuel goes to Bethlehem and chooses a king for Israel, he goes to see Jesse, who has a number of sons, and uh, he doesn't want any of those uh, sons of, uh, of uh, Jesse. And he asks, is there another son? Yes, well, that's David. He's, he's, he's the little one. He's off uh, taking care of the sheep. And he says, that's the one I want. And... There's a phrase from Samuel, the prophet, God does not see as man sees, since man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So there's some, some way in which God sees things and another way in which man sees things. It's like as though he were inviting us to this new criteria. 
And that's what we have to learn and discover in the Beatitudes. I, I invite you to meditate them, chapter 5 in Matthew, and um, also in, uh, in St. Luke, chapter 6. Uh, they they are structured slightly differently. They're not exactly identical, but uh, but they are they are worthwhile integrating into our life. And uh, that's because we may have been infected by the wrong criteria, the wrong wrong way of looking at our life. And so there's a lot here for us to learn, uh, to discover. And uh, it says, St. Matthew says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and he sat down. He sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught, taught them, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor. We know Pope Francis has ceaselessly exhorted Christians to live the Beatitudes, saying that, Living that poverty of spirit is the only way to real happiness, the only way to really rebuild society. It could happen, some of us may even walk into a store, when you can walk into a store, and you, you may imagine yourself going into that store and think, well, what would I do if I had all the money, in the, you know, all the money that I wanted? I'd buy this, I'd buy that, I'd buy this object and that jewelry and that clothing and that plasma screen and uh, uh, and we could lose ourselves in that dream imagining that if I, if I was able to do that we, we know we can't do that because we don't have unlimited money but, but if I was able to do that kind of where we delude ourselves maybe to thinking well then I'd be happy somehow I'd be happy and uh, the Holy Father has often warned us of the delusion of that. In fact, it, it, he has said that today's world is, is kind of sick with pride and this insatiable desire, insatiable desire for riches and domination. And uh, it cannot be healed by, but by this message of the Beatitude to be poor in spirit. In other words, for us, if you and I really live the Beatitudes, if we really incorporated these divine words that were spoken on that hill, we would be, as he says later on, the light of the world, the salt of the earth. It is the Beatitudes that make us the light of the world. It is the Beatitudes that make us the salt of the earth. Because we would preserve the earth, the world, our society from all that corruption. We would be that, that city set on a hill that people could look at and admire. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What I find particularly fascinating is the people on that hill that were present to those words. How alive they were, how focused they were. These were not just nice phrases. They, these people really listened. They really listened. There was no recording devices. Here's what uh, C.S. Lewis said. The, he said, they were really present. And to be really present is the fingerprint of God in the present moment. Imagine if they had been 
on that hill thinking of other things, thinking of shopping, thinking of looking at their faults. Imagine that. So the first thing that we get from the Beatitudes, even beyond the Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, is the fact that we have to learn to listen, to truly listen. And, and we know that they were able to listen because they were able afterwards to transmit what they heard. They were able to transmit it to the people around them, and then they were later on able to transmit it to the evangelists, who in turn passed it on to us, and those words continue now to transform, uh, transform lives completely. That's what happens when you truly listen to the Word of God, actively. And so we have to see if the Beatitudes, you know, to what extent have I really read them and really listened to them? It's not that we have to memorize them, but we have to listen to them. You know, when, when musicians play on stage, they always begin by a sound check. They have to see, obviously, if they're in harmony with one another, if they're in the right key. But for you to do that sound check, you have to be listening to the others in, in the band. You're not just listening to yourself. You're listening, you're playing your guitar or, or the other guitars, but you have to listen to the other guitar. Otherwise, the whole band would be disharmonious. And you and I can't just listen to ourselves. We have to be truly present to the others in our life. We can ask ourselves now, we haven't even begun specifically entering yet into the Beatitudes, but who have I not really been present to? You know, in the family, is there true harmony there in the family? And, well, now, now together we want to listen in harmony together in this time of prayer, what you, Lord, said so many centuries ago on that hill and that had been transmitted to us because somebody there listened very, very uh, attentively. And yet, of course, at the same time, in every band, well, there's a, a lead singer who has a unique voice that everybody recognizes and that makes the band so beautiful. So each person has his unique voice and his unique uh, talent or his, you know, his unique instrument. We also, though we listen, have a unique voice in front of God. If we really do this, if we both listen and then express our unique voice in front of God as children of God, we will be what St. Paul calls, we'll be able to give off that good aroma of Christ, that bonus odor Christi, if we live the Beatitudes. It can be really liberating. And this Lent, which we're about to begin, has got to be a liberating Lent if we truly seek to live the Beatitudes, to put them into practice. Because it is really there, the, the essence of, of Christianity, the essence of our faith. So what does this mean, blessed are the poor in spirit? Well, on the one hand, there's true poverty, which is obvious and tangible. Poverty made up of definite things. Uh, 
and this poverty should be an expression of faith in God and a sign that our heart, when we are truly poor and detached, it means that our heart is not satisfied with created things and that we aspire to greater things. We aspire to the Creator, God our Father. He wants us to be filled with love of God, not filled with the love of uh, objects or satisfaction or or anything, let's say, material. Because all those things were not made for those and they will not ultimately not uh, satisfy us. That's why we have to be poor in spirit. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And, uh, of course, the Lord was... Uh, was aware that someone who is materially poor, as there were around him, socially poor, let's call it that, uh, you know, let's say those people that were in the lower end of society, and I don't think our Lord was not in the lower, socially lower end of society. Like there were the poor people that had absolutely nothing, and they just worked where they could, but our Lord was, like socially speaking, was at a higher level in the sense that he had a trade and he had an expertise with Joseph and so he was socially higher. But he understood that even those at the economic level that were socially even lower could also be attached and not, they would be socially poor but not truly poor in spirit. Even with the little that they might have. Our founder, you perhaps recall that story, St. Rosemary recounted that he went to like a soup kitchen or something and he saw a poor beggar there, or not, not a beggar, but a, yeah, a beggar, a guy who lived there or, or often went to the soup kitchen and he was, he was given a bowl of soup uh, and then he, out of the tatters of his ragged clothes, he pulled out his spoon, his silver spoon, which he... He uh, polished and and like he was saying, this is mine, like like Gollum almost, right? This is my spoon. And then he ate his thing and then he cleaned it, he licked it off and then he put it back like nobody is getting this spoon. This is mine. Who knows where he got that spoon, right? And uh, Santa Zemiria thought, well, <laughs> he's attached to this spoon, even though he's got practically nothing, right? And uh, he, he's not... Uh, attached to a Ferrari, right? But but still, um, or that story when he was first assigned to the first little village parish called Perdiguera, and he recounts that one day um, he was um, he was uh, in the village and he met a little little boy there, and um, he wanted to see how much the little kid knew. A little boy, maybe, I don't know, ten years old or something, and um, he asked him what he would do if he was very rich. And the little kid said, what does it mean to be rich? Oh, to me rich uh, means uh, you have a lot of money, you have uh, you know, lots of money in the bank. What is a bank? Um, okay, so what is a bank? So he tried to go on to explain to him what it meant. And uh, you know, he said, well, look, to be rich means you have a lot of land. Inst instead of goats, you have big, Cows, you know, you don't have little goats that you have big cows and uh, ox and uh, and um, you can go to meetings in the little village town and you can change your suit and you can have several pairs of shoes uh, and uh, 
So what would you do if you had all those things? What, if you had access to all those things? And the little boy, hearing all this, his eyes were open wide, and he says, well, I'd eat lots of bowls of soup and plenty of wine every day. You know? And St. Josemaria, you know, he was struck hearing that you know, the ambitions of this little boy was to eat lots of bowls of soup. And he said, all our ambitions come down to that. Nothing is worthwhile. Strangely enough, I have never forgotten that story, he said. It struck me and made me think. Jose de Maria, it is the Holy Spirit speaking. God in his wisdom did this to teach me that the things of the earth, all of them come to that. Very little. Just a bowl of soup, just some wine in the soup. And so... Immediately when he arrived in Madrid, he encountered a lot of misery there in the shanty towns and the, the poor inhabitants. And uh, at that time, a lot of uh, people from the countryside were coming into the city and expecting to find jobs and, and, and so forth. So, um, you know, he, he based a lot of his apostolate or you know, the beginnings of his apostolate in the poor of, of Madrid. And... Um, and, uh, but at the same time, he also saw people of uh, economically higher status who were very detached and very poor and, you know, gave to charity and they were very generous with their time. So they would have been poor in spirit, even though maybe they had, you know, they had more money. He said... To my way of thinking, the best example of poverty are those mothers and fathers of large and poor families who spend their lives for their children, who with their effort and constancy, often without complaining of their needs, bring up their family, creating a cheerful home in which everyone learns to love, to serve, and to work. Well, there's a beginning, you know, Blessed are the poor in spirit. We're, we're detached from our time. We're detached from our wants. We're generous with God and with others. It makes us very resourceful and really ready to spend ourselves for the needy. Could be the needy in the street, but it could be the needy, those who need our time. And uh, he said, you know, it's, we can't be just content with just finding money just for ourselves. We are not mature uh, when we are able and responsible to take care of ourselves. We are mature when we are able to take care of ourselves and others, when we are responsible for others, for the well-being of others. And that takes dedication. Of course, chapter 6 in Luke, he, he, he says it slightly differently from Matthew. He has the concomitant woes, the blessings and the woes. He said, uh, blessed are you poor for yours is the kingdom of heaven. So he doesn't say poor in spirit, but he says poor. But then he says, woe to you rich for you have received your consolation. Blessed are you rich, you have received your consolation. So... Our Lord seems to condemn avarice, he, you know, excessive uh, care for the things of the world, or for the body, for gluttony, for this kind of empty-headed joy, and, 
seeking self-satisfaction and flattery and disordered desire for human glory. And, um, yeah, blessed are the poor in spirit. What, what are you asking of us now? Well, there's to be poor, there's to be poor in spirit. Poor in spirit is Matthew, poor uh, is in Luke. Well, there's, I suppose, two ways of understanding it. On One emphasizes poverty as a social condition, the other as an attitude of the soul, maybe you could say detachment. And um, maybe it could point to uh, um, you know, the fact that sometimes uh, we are poor in spirit, we feel like spiritual zeros, we feel we're not really able to do much. Um, sometimes we feel we're poor in spirit in the sense that we feel we can't make sense of things. And the God of our expectation is as though he doesn't show up. He doesn't, uh, doesn't seem to satisfy us. We didn't get all our expectations and he didn't seem to show up for us. But of course, if we have all these expectations and we don't get what we want, well, we are disappointed. But that's because we don't see life as a gift. And so then when we do get something, well, you know, or when God does fulfill my expectations, I'm not grateful. Maybe the, yeah, maybe the trick is that we have to live with a greater spirit of gratitude less kind of entitlement or expectation of everything. I mean, do you expect not to breathe as you wake up in the morning? Like this morning, did you expect that you would not breathe when you woke up this morning? I mean, surely when you woke up, you were expecting to breathe. I mean, I was expecting to breathe, you know. Well, I wasn't even thinking of that. I just woke up. Oh, it's up. I got to get up. Mm-hmm. This is normal. And that's what we expect. But we don't even see sometimes that even our breath is a gift. So we don't give thanks even for the breath. Like when the Lord God formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils. Well, that was God. So, let's ask our Lord uh, to help us dig mm, deeper into this, the meaning of truly this poverty that leads us to feel total and utter dependence on God. And God is not induced to act on behalf of the poor because of their merits or their moral dispositions, but because of their greater readiness to believe. God does not value the poor for what they have, but for what they do not have. What do they not have? Self-sufficiency, a closed attitude, a presumption to be able to save themselves. When we are truly poor, we know we need God. And therefore, God can give us 
His grace. We are sometimes, maybe we feel we're at the end of our rope. If you're at the end of your rope, you're tired, you don't know what to do, then you turn to God. I, I heard a, a story of a, a fellow who does this Christian music um, and he, he, does, he does a kind of, uh, kind of talk, he gives a talk in the concert and, and, and then he, he sings you know, this Christian music and he's quite inspirational in, in the music. And uh, there was a lady who really loves his music and she invited her friend to come. And so at the end of one of his concerts, a lady came to him with that lady. She said, my friend here tried over and over to invite me and I kept uh, rejecting her to come to your concert. But since she was badgering me so much to come to this concert, I finally agreed, if only so that she would kind of leave me alone. But finally I came. Um, and she, tears were welling up in her eyes. And she said, I have to tell you that this evening... I was planning on taking my life. I was taking, going to take my life. And, but when I heard you speak of the fact that we sometimes are at the end of our rope, and she said, I was at the end of the rope, that's when we have to turn to God. And she said that his expression of talking about being at the end of the rope, our rope, that gave her a glimmer of hope that precisely because she felt she had nothing left, that she was completely poor, that she could turn to God. And she said, I want to thank you. Your words have given me hope to cling to. And she could not have done that if she had not been spiritually poor. Well, by grace, by your grace, you have been saved through faith. Let's see if we can tap into that spiritual poverty that the Lord asks of us and grow and become blessed of the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you communicated to me in this meditation. I ask God to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.